Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the podcast, Insanity, A Peace of Mind. I'm your host, Stephanie. The first thing I would like to do this morning is thank everyone for listening. I have gotten some really nice feedback from some of you who genuinely feel edified informed and or educated by what you are learning from my efforts. And since that's my goal, that it is worth your time to listen and that you might find information that allows you to do something different, learn something you didn't know, and if needful, maybe do something to improve. So I'm grateful that you will reach out and let me know that these podcasts are worthwhile. This is particularly hard for me to admit, but when I do hear from you, positive or negative, it really does make me feel like my efforts are worth it. If you feel so inclined, you can leave a review on Apple Podcasts, CastBox has a comment section, or you can leave me a message on Instagram or Facebook. I would love to hear from you. Additionally, if you think it's worth it, uh, it would be great if you could share with friends and family. And with that bit of gratitude, let's talk about food and mood. I'm going to begin with some basics about this issue and then develop the topic more with future podcasts. I am not willing to lock myself into this topic for consecutive weeks, so I'm not going to commit to that, but I will make sure to build on it over the summer. And I can tell you that this podcast will have a part two next week. I have never felt emotionally or physically that food has that big of an effect on me. I don't know if that's actually true or not, but I do know that there are people who are much more obviously affected by food than I am. I survived college by eating and or drinking Snickers bars, bagels with cream cheese, tuna fish or bologna sandwiches, Wendy's singles, probably combo meals with French fries and Diet Coke. Oh, Diet Coke chocolate milk, and a variety of just typical meals that my mom would make, including one of my personal favorites, Hamburger Helper. My dad was not a fan of vegetables, and so they were not really a priority in my house growing up. We ate things that he liked, which were canned beets, green beans, frozen corn, not canned, and canned carrots. Whew, man. Ugh, wow. Early married life, I began to cook more, but was not particularly healthy. I made meals because I had a family to cook for, and I tried to make decent meals. But left to my own, I would drink a chocolate milk, peanut butter, and banana shake in the morning for breakfast, I would generally skip lunch, eat some kind of dinner. I am not a particularly good cook. I don't particularly love cooking. And only occasionally do I find 
any actual joy in cooking. Snacking for me is mostly about candy. I keep Smarties, Jolly Ranchers, Chewy Spree, and other such sugary treats around regularly. Still, today. I am not a huge fan of cookies or cake, but I will definitely eat them when offered. I have been known to eat sugar cubes and rock salt fairly regularly. I like chips and salsa, and when I buy Dunford chocolate donuts in a box of six, I will generally eat them all by myself. I'm the kind of eater who once started a green smoothie cleanse because I read a Facebook post where someone had to stop about three days into the green smoothie cleanse because of their serious headaches, body aches, and general blah they felt as a result of the cleanse. For me, that was challenge accepted. I did it, had no problem, and I have done it several times since then. Headaches and migraines are a regular part of my life. No amount of cutting out or adding different foods has ever had any impact on their frequency or intensity. I have added water, cut back on Diet Coke, and felt nothing out of the ordinary. I have never eliminated sugar, although several of my kids have done it at different times in their life. I either cook or have cooked for a lot of different types of eaters. I've had vegetarians, vegans, keto eaters, and occasionally someone who cuts all animal fat out of their diet. I make simple accommodations for all of them, but I have never joined them. I have cut back on meat, increased vegetable and fruit intake, and cut out dairy. I have never felt anything in body, mind, or spirit. I have added things back in and not noticed anything different. I have spent months drinking milk or plant-based protein shakes for all three meals and experienced only weight loss, nothing else. You get the point. And with all of that, all of those different eating things, all of the changes or variations that I've had, I personally don't notice much of anything, but I am absolutely on board with the idea that among other things, very important things about food, food and your mood are often correlated. In an effort to gain some understanding about this correlation, it is helpful to know a tiny bit about our brains. For this next part of the podcast, I am using an article I found that was pretty easy to understand, and I will link it in the show notes. The brain can be divided into three basic parts, the forebrain, the midbrain, and the hindbrain. Each part is like an expert in its particular area with special properties, but they work beautifully together. The hindbrain includes the upper part of the spinal cord, the brain stem, and a wrinkled ball of tissue called the cerebellum. The hindbrain controls the body's vital functions, such as respiration and heart rate, those things that are part of your autonomic nervous system. The cerebellum coordinates movement and is involved in learned rote movements. Mm -hmm. So 
um, if you're a violinist or you play baseball, the cerebellum is active in those rote muscle memory activities. The uppermost part of the brain stem is in the midbrain, which controls some reflex actions and is part of the circuit involved in the control of eye movements and other voluntary movements. Not autonomic, but the voluntary ones. Finally, the forebrain is the largest and most highly developed part of the human brain and consists primarily of the cerebrum and the structures hidden beneath it. The cerebral hemisphere is divided into sections or lobes. Each one of them has a different function. The two frontal lobes lie directly behind the forehead. When you schedule or plan, dream or imagine the future or use reason when you're arguing or discussing, these are the two lobes that are doing all the work. One of the ways the frontal lobes seem to do these things is by acting as short-term storage sites, allowing one idea to be kept in mind while other ideas are considered. In the rearmost portion of each frontal lobe is a motor area, which helps control all of our voluntary movements. Broca's area, which is on the left frontal lobe, is where speech occurs, meaning this is where our thoughts are turned into words. Two sections behind the frontal lobes are called the parietal lobes. They are at work when you are eating, among other things. The forward parts of these lobes, just behind the motor areas, are the primary sensory areas. These areas receive information about temperature, taste, touch, and movement from the rest of the body. Written words and numbers are also functions of the parietal lobes. There are two areas at the back of the brain called the occipital lobes. They process images from the eyes and then connect these images with information stored in our memory. The last lobes in the cerebral hemispheres are the temporal lobes, which lie in front of the visual areas and nest under the parietal and frontal lobes. Regardless of what your taste in music may be, the response to it happens in these areas. At the top of each temporal lobe is an area responsible for receiving information from your ears. The underside of each temporal lobe plays a crucial role in forming and retrieving memories, most especially, or including, maybe not most especially, but including those associated with music. Other parts of this lobe seem to integrate memories and sensations of taste, sound, sight, and touch. Deep inside our brains, there are gatekeepers which reside between the spinal cord and the cerebral hemispheres. These are emotion related. They determine our emotional state as well as our perceptions and responses while we are in various emotional states. They also aid in automatic movements, again, the ones that we don't have to think about, and each of the following, hypothalamus, thalamus, and the hippocampus, come in pairs, so there is one of each in either side of our brain. Um, those are the gatekeepers, hypothalamus, thalamus, and hippocampus. So let's talk hypothalamus. 
It's tiny, about the size of a pearl. It is what helps you wake up in the morning and produces the adrenaline used for everyday tasks like taking a test or giving a speech. The hypothalamus is, is important. Okay, the hypothalamus is an important part of our emotional center. It controls the molecules that make us feel all of our feelings. Whether we're angry, sad, enthusiastic, happy, Near the hypothalamus lies the thalamus, a major clearinghouse for information going to and from the spinal cord and the cerebrum. There is also an arching tract of nerve, cell, nerve cells that come from the hypothalamus and the thalamus to the hippocampus. This tiny nub acts as a memory indexer, sending memories out to the appropriate part of the cerebral hemisphere for long-term storage and retrieval when necessary. Additionally, there are tiny clusters of nerve cells called the basal ganglia that surround the thalamus. These basal ganglia nerve cells initiate and integrate movements. The brain and the rest of the nervous system are composed of many different types of cells. The most useful and functional cell is a neuron. All sensations, movements, thoughts, memories, and feelings are the result of signals that pass through our neurons. A synapse is where the signals pass from a cell neuron to another cell. Researchers, by studying the synapse, have learned a great deal about those neurons. When the signal reaches the end of the axon, it stimulates the release of tiny sacs. These sacs release chemicals known as neurotransmitters into the synapse. The neurotransmitters cross the synapse and attach to receptors on a neighboring cell. These receptors can change the properties of the receiving cell. If the receiving cell is also a neuron, the signal can continue the transmission to the next cell. And we have arrived at where I want to be for today's podcast, neurotransmitters. There are five that I want to talk about as they relate to physical health, mental health, mood, depression, anxiety, stress disorders, and other mood-related disorders. Oh, and food. The following information about the neurotransmitters is taken pretty much verbatim from the article referenced in the show notes. And for mental health purposes, it is useful to know that most medications used to treat mood disorders act on our neurotransmitters to increase or decrease production. The neurotransmitters most associated with our mood disorders are the ones that I'm going to talk about. And in all likelihood, you've heard of one or all of them. So neurotransmitters are chemicals that brain cells use to talk to each other. Some neurotransmitters make cells more active and they are called excitatory, while others block or dampen a cell's activity and those are called inhibitory. Acetylcholine is one of them. It is an excitatory neurotransmitter because it generally makes our cells more excitable. 
It governs muscle contractions and causes our glands to secrete hormones. Alzheimer's disease, which is uh, generally affects memory formation, is associated with a shortage of acetylcholine. Glutamate is a major excitatory neurotransmitter. Too much glutamate can kill or damage neurons themselves, and it has been linked to disorders including Parkinson's disease, stroke, seizures, and increased sensitivity to pain. So that would be like fibromyalgia or um, chronic, fatigue, chronic fatigue syndrome, that kind of thing. The next one is GABA, gamma amniobutric acid. This is an inhibitory neurotransmitter that helps control muscle activity and is an important part of the visual system. Drugs that increase our GABA levels in the brain are used to treat epileptic seizures and tremors in patients with all kinds of um, movement, kind of movement diseases. The next one is serotonin. It is a neurotransmitter that constricts blood vessels and brings on sleep. It is also involved in our temperature regulation. Low levels of serotonin may cause sleep problems and depression, while too much serotonin can lead to seizures. And finally, we have dopamine, which is another inhibitory neurotransmitter involved in mood and the control of complex movements. The loss of dopamine activity in some portions of the brain leads to the muscular rigidity in patients with Parkinson's disease. Many medications used to treat behavioral disorders work by modifying the action of dopamine in the brain. And all of this about neurotransmitters and what they do brings me back to why I described my diet, such as it is, and such as I have described it. I have been very blessed in that I do not suffer from any noticeable or notable mood disorder. Every once in a while, as a result of extra stress, I might get hives, or at least that was something that happened occasionally in the very distant past. Past. I get a lot of headaches, that's for sure, but not much else, either physical or emotional. And I do know that other people are much more in tune with their bodies, minds, and spirits and understand how food impacts their well-being. So with that in mind, next week, I will talk about food and how it can have a profound effect on our mental health. Hopefully, you can see that I have no intention of preaching to you about how to eat mostly because I have some pretty ridiculous opinions about how, you know, life is short and I'm going to eat and drink what I want, etc., etc. I have incorporated a lot of really good habits into my cooking, eating, and feeding my family. And I have kept a lot of bad habits. Food has never been and is not a big issue for me, but I do have a healthy understanding and a healthy respect for good nutrition. My goal for these podcasts about food and mood is to help inform, educate, and support any who want this information. Next week, 
I will continue this series. And so it will be a part two of sorts. And I will talk about different foods and how they act on or impact our neurotransmitters, the ones most involved with our mental health. Hippocrates said, let food be thy medicine and medicine be thy food. And wouldn't that be lovely? Join me next Monday, same time, same place, mood and food, and have a good week. Thank you.